Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Wither the Luniversity, the podcast of the Peerless Review. Uh, I'm excited to to bring my guest today. She's a native of Rochester, New York, which is my hometown. Former professor of English, uh, my my guest is Mary Graybar, uh, who is currently a fellow at the Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization. Uh, she's very widely published um, in online publications like Town Hall, Minding the Campus, American Thinker, The Weekly Standard, um, author of uh, two recent books, um, one called Debunking Howard Zinn, uh, another called Debunking the 1619 Project, Exposing the Plan to Divide America. Uh, she is executive director at Dissident Prof um, website online that you can check out. And her current project is a book on George Schuyler, a man who has been referred to as the Black H.L. Mencken. Um, Mary, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Sure. So I ask everybody this, listeners know, how did you, uh, a young woman in Rochester, get on the path to an academic career? And your PhD is in English. How of all fields and, and why did you get into that racket? Well, I always, uh, growing up, you know, my, my favorite place in Rochester was the public library. It was a place of refuge for me. And, um, you know, I, I'm actually an immigrant. My parents brought me here when I was two years old from uh, the former communist Yugoslavia, uh, Slovenia. And, um, you know, my, my parents couldn't even read the picture books to me, you know, because they didn't know the language. And so I just couldn't wait uh, to finally go to school. You know, I finally went in first grade and you know, learning to read just opened things up for me. And so I love books. I love literature. And um, I had been out of school for about 10 years. And by that time I was living in Georgia. And so I decided, I had worked in advertising and a number as a freelance journalist, I decided, you know, I really wanted to go back to my love of literature and lead the contemplative life and share, you know, just insights, you know, <laughs> poetic insights with students would be eager uh, to learn and to appreciate great uh, works of literature from our heritage. Um, and uh, it didn't work out that way. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. And, and you mentioned, I assume you're talking about Rundell Library uh, downtown, which is a, a beautiful, beautiful building. If you're ever in Rochester, New York, you should check it out. It comes from, I think, the 19th century. And one of the things that really fascinated me about it as a child is it has these secret doors um, where the bookshelves you can push and it'll turn around just like in the movies. And there will be a little study in the room behind there. Um, I can remember seeing that on a field trip. Yeah, well, I've been there as an adult to do research, but, but uh, when I was growing up, we would walk down to the Avenue D library. Oh, okay. Library, <laughs> and All then right. there was one across from Benjamin Franklin High School, where I went um, to school, uh, or close to Benjamin Franklin High School. Cool. So, you, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about why you left the university because you've worked at a number, uh, taught a number of institutions, and 
I think that uh, you you were last associated with the University of 2013. Why did you leave? Well, I mean, I just couldn't find the work. I, I, I was living in Georgia and I basically got blacklisted from all, <laughs> all the colleges. I was an adjunct. Um, I, I had former professors uh, of mine come out and, um, you know, denounce me in public on blogs and, and stuff. And uh, so it was hard to get those letters of recommendation. And I'd been in graduate school in the 1990s. And by then, so, so the old guard, you know, the, the, the real sort of, um, you know, tweed and leather, you know, uh, elbow pad, you know, types of professors um, were either um, close to retirement or had left, but I was fortunate to get to those few that were there. And I think, you know, get a pretty decent graduate education. And um, so I would, you know, publish an op-ed someplace, you know, in the local paper in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I remember I was at, uh, at one state college and I had a one-year appointment and I was told by someone in the administration that I was on track to be you know, really considered for full time. And, um, and then I got a, uh, an email from a reader, I think it was a town hall column. And he uh, very happily informed me that he had complimented my column to the department chair. And I said, Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Right. Uh -huh. And so, um, you know, that alerted her. Needless to say, that was my last, um, you know, I never got the full-time position there. I believe I lasted a, a semester or two. Um, but, you know, they, they get wind of that. And then, of course, you have no protection as an adjunct. Um, you know, they can simply lie and say they don't have any more classes for you. And, you um, and there you go. And in another place, it, it was very clear um, that it was because of something I had written. It was a First Amendment violation. I actually had been on vacation in Rochester. I had an op-ed published in the Journal Constitution. This was at a community college. And when I got back, everyone in the faculty room was talking about how the president knew my name, the president of the college, for this op-ed I wrote. Um, and uh, he had announced, a, a, you know, a faculty-wide policy, a new policy that said you could not publish anything uh, and say that you were teaching at that college. And then someone, another faculty member got his friend who was an attorney to send him a you know, strongly worded letter or something. But anyway, that, that ended too. And then I was also teaching at Emory University last place. And I was teaching under a special program because of course, they would not let me in, you know, as someone who, you know, submitted her CV. And Mark Bauerlein, who you may know or know of, uh, I had met him actually at, uh, at a library, he was giving a presentation. And he was starting this program, he had gotten some private funding. And it was called the Program in uh, Demo American Democracy and Citizenship. And it was um, spread through several departments. And so I was teaching freshman composition 
gearing uh, the readings towards uh, some of the foundational texts of American history, uh, classical rhetoric, uh, political speeches, you know, threw in some short stories uh, to sort of give the students, uh, you know, an introduction to our heritage that they wouldn't be getting other places. But anyway, when that program ended, I was out of a job. And fortunately, I was able to land here at the Alexander Hamilton Institute. I had met the people here a few years previously. And so it, it worked out. And I've been here since 2014. And you wrote about some of this experience in your book called Exiled, right? Yes. Yes. Sweet. Buy it on Amazon. And this was, uh, as you said, kind of before we had a language for cancellation, uh, mm -hmm. you were you were writing about this, um, and indeed, at, in the decade that since you've left uh, the university, these trends have become much more pernicious. I think. Um, yeah. I think I think you were especially bold to, uh, as an adjunct or as as a lecturer, to to be doing the work that you were doing without the protection of of tenure. Um, maybe you were still working at a time back then when you didn't think it would be a big deal. Um, but I think that, that today it would, it would take a lot of courage to, to do that kind of thing, um, without tenure. This, oh, this... I, I knew, I knew what I, I, I knew that I was putting, uh, my, my job at risk, but I, I've always been someone, uh, when I was taking grad courses, I, you know, I had these professors who were spouting this postmodernist nonsense. And I had to speak up in class. I just had to do it. When I remember this one course on T.S. Eliot and the professor hated him and, <laughs> and it was awful. And I, and every single class, I mean, the first time I, you know, told myself, well, just sit through it, you know, put a pleasant expression on your face and go along with him. And by the time I left that classroom my jaw was aching from keeping it closed <laughs> i thought i'm gonna get lockjaw here i can't do this it's <laughs> strange that you say that i had a similar experience in graduate school in my master's degree where the professor was teaching us elliot who hated elliot i think that's probably a rite of passage um yeah. Yeah. Why, why are you doing this? You know, I mean, that, that's, but you know, I, I, you know, it, it was the opposite of what I thought I was getting myself into. Um, you know, when I naively applied, I kind of had an inkling, you know, that the university was changing, but I thought, you know, for the most part, I'm going to be among people who really um, appreciate literature, want to teach um, their you know, literature, pass on the knowledge to future generations, preserve our culture in, in this way, you know, through something that's beautiful and meaningful. And of course, I found all these postmodernist deconstructionists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those were the big things in the 90s. And they they wanted to destroy literature and they, they've succeeded. I mean, you know, yeah. pretty much, um, you know, I don't I don't even know if, you know, freshman composition is taught or how it's taught, but back. It's taught <laughs> poorly for the most part. Poorly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like here's how to write a tweet. Right. <laughs> An effective tweet. Right. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, like it, it's, it's not so much that they killed the study of literature. It's that they repurposed it and 
you know, you described it uh, as kind of the old model of affirming the beautiful, the good, the true, this kind of thing. Now what these texts serve as for them is simply a springboard for cultural critique. So the work that Eliot is supposed to do for us isn't to teach us anything about the beautiful, the good, and the true, about tradition, any sort of intellectual heritage. His function is to sort of um, accelerate us into a criticism of colonialism and um, you know uh, uh, the dangers of orthodoxy and and this and that. Um, so it's a tragedy, but you're 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 talking about sort of the contract basis of, of adjunct work it makes me wonder what you think about the the tenure situation because obviously on the the right there's been big disagreements about the value of tenure um and i personally have kind of been opposed to the abolition of tenure precisely because i think that with if we just switch back to a contract system it would be people like me whose contracts aren't renewed, probably mm -hmm. for purely political reasons. So what's your take on it? I mean, should we do away with tenure as a means to sort of level the ideological playing field or could doing away with tenure actually just make it worse? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about that. You know, I think um, tenure is so abused and you are very much in the minority. And so I'm glad, you know, that tenure would protect you. But I think we're getting to the point where um, any professor that steps out of bounds, you know, outside of the line of orthodoxy, um, is subject uh, to dismissal. Um, I, you know, I read these, um, you know, these articles. I think there was a professor. I don't know if he was. He, he taught in the sciences or math, and um, he was applying the same standards to students of all races. I mean, <laughs> this is where we've gotten, and I think he's gone. I mean, you know. They have I think you're you're talking about the one right where I think if I remember right, it was a a student of a minority group emailed and said, hey, will you be grading us differently because of the hardships of the pandemic and the post George Floyd thing? And this professor had the audacity to say, no, I'm going to grade everybody by the same standard. And, mm -hmm. and that was uh, the the problem. Right. That's the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the same one. Um, I'm, I'm not reading these articles as carefully as I used to. I'm keeping up with them, you know, because I'm doing other things now. Um, but it, it's, it, it has, I've just seen the progression of this. You know, I, I started, uh, you know, back in graduate school in 1992, I think it was. It took me almost 10 years to get my PhD. I started at the master's level. But um, I was seeing this, and it's incremental. Uh, I often compare uh, these these radical left wing professors um, who are out to destroy, uh, you know, civilization or Western civilization. Compare them to termites. You know, <laughs> they're they're doing their work. You can't see it. The public doesn't see it. That was one of uh, my reasons for, you know, writing articles and op-eds and going and speaking to citizens groups, um, testifying, 
you know, before the state school board, uh, before the state legislature about things like Common Core um, and Tea Party groups and trying to awaken the public to what was going on that they couldn't see, you know, and I'd say, look here at the state university, your tax dollars are supporting this. There is a conference being sponsored there uh, by the English department. Has that, you know, like 5% to do with literature. The rest is Marxism. And it advertises itself as being Marxist. And, um, and they were, you know, and they got away with it. You know, there wasn't that the out, you know, the outroar, um, the governor didn't, you know, he wasn't a, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis who would come out and say, hey, you know, stop this. But I think Ron DeSantis back then wouldn't have recognized that. I mean, it's just gotten to the point, I mean, where, where people, uh, you know, they protect their children. This is no longer this weird thing in English departments. And, you know, I'd have colleagues in political science and other departments. And they say, well, we know you're, we know you're wacky, but, you know, political science, we're safe. And now, right. now you, math and um, science aren't safe, you know? So I told you so. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, that, Part of the, I think if if the public knew what was going on in the public universities, they'd be appalled. But I think that it's terms like Marxism that so many people don't even know what that means. Right. Um, and and many of them don't have the time or the will to do the research on that. And so much of this stuff stays undercover because mm-hmm. there's been a vocabulary developed to obscure what it's actually about um so sometimes i think that training the public to sort of hear these things uh Mm -hmm. is is key to getting a resistance going um yeah yeah so you've written uh two books one debunking howard zinn who was um i guess we call a a fabulous of american history uh Uh, he, he, uh, pretends to be a historian, uh, but he, his main book, I think a people's history of the United States has been much beloved by campus leftists for, I don't know, two, three generations. Um, and you also wrote a book debunking the 1619 project, which is more recent. That's hand Nicole Jones's, uh, um, fairy tale about, how uh, America was founded with the express purpose of perpetuating um, the Atlantic slave trade. Uh, and I, I really admire your work on both of these things. Uh, I think they do need debunking. I think you've done a great job of it. What I'm curious about is like, why are academics so attracted to this stuff? Like why is this stuff is, is, is like, um, you know, like bees to honey for them. Uh, what is it in the the professorial character that pushes them to love this stuff? Yeah, that's a big question. And, um, you know, and I've been sort of rethinking this, you know, as I'm researching uh, my biography of George Schuyler um, and, you know, looking at... Um, 
you know, uh, how the communists so, uh, so harmed the black community, especially uh, through the Scottsboro case, you know, which profoundly affected George Schuyler. And then in the post-war period. And, um, and, and so it's a bigger question because all these theories that, you know, that uh, the variations on, um, you know, uh, SEL, social emotional learning, you know, that these have come down to kindergarten, um, critical race theory, these are all based in Marxism. And so what is it about um, people who want to be intellectuals, and I don't think they're true intellectuals if, you know, if they get mired in Marxism, because it's anti-intellectual, really. Um, it's, it's, you know, lockstep thinking. Um, Ideology. There is, there is no truth outside of, you know. That's... Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, they will um, switch their opinions. Uh, then, you know, as soon as, you know, the order comes from Stalin or whomever, you know, they, they switch their opinions. And I've seen this with high school teachers. I, I spent one session grading the AP English exams, and then they kicked me out. <laughs> um, Lucky because, you. Yeah. Uh, so I think um, I think a lot of these people are divorced from reality. And so I'm thinking of George Schuyler, who went uh, to the Congress of Cultural Freedom, which was this big conference uh, that was held. It was sponsored partially by the CIA, which became public knowledge. Um, but it was uh, to... Uh, fight what the Soviet Union was doing, which was sponsoring these conferences. And they'd had one at the Waldorf Astoria, Astoria just a month previously, or maybe it was the previous year, 1949, and then 1950 was the one in Berlin. And um, Schuyler got disgusted because he said, all these people are pink. <laughs> you know, they're socialists, they're, they're fellow travelers if they're not outright communists. Um, and, you know, and I think uh, a lot of the people that go into academia, a lot of the people that I met don't come from a blue collar working class or immig immigrant background the way I do. They come from uh, families of privilege. And so they go right from college into graduate school. They haven't had a taste of real life. The same thing with these intellectuals that went um, to this Congress in Berlin, you know, from uh, mostly Europe and America, they haven't had to deal with uh, Marxists who are really thugs and liars and criminals. I mean, that's what they really are. Um, and so they don't have the street smarts. They haven't had to be out there to survive and uh, to say, wait a minute, I've worked hard for this and you're not you know, you're not taking this away. I don't like your plan. They they haven't had parents who are like my parents who actually lived under communism and, um, you know, knew what hunger was like and knew what it was like um, to uh, be a member of an oppressed class, not be a member of the privileged communist class. So they haven't had the experience. They become divorced from reality. They're living in a world of theory and they don't want to know reality. And that's the scary thing, you know, because 
I, you know, I read about so many people who were told about the gulags, who were told about the executions, and you can tell, you know, um, professors and, and graduate students, look, you know, this is what happens. And they either refu they refuse to believe it, um, or they deny it, or they don't care. They really don't care. They're, they are, you know, sociopaths in that manner. So they're living a very privileged existence where they don't have to deal with the hard facts of life. There's always going to be some money coming from somewhere, mommy or daddy, right? Uh, and then they kind of get into, you know, graduate school and then they think, well, this is owed to me and I'm smarter than everyone else, you know, because I come from this, this, you know, this great background and, um, and it kind of perpetuates. And of course, you know, they teach other students and uh, they're in this little fantasy world. They think they're doing something great for humanity. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, but, but, you know, they probably wouldn't be able to like do an act of charity, like shovel someone's um, sidewalk, you know, take, you know, shovel uh, the snow off the sidewalk or, or do anything like that. Um, so I think that's that type of personality um, that's drawn to that often very privileged um there was a, a letter to the editor written by Nancy Kennard, who was the heiress of the Kennard, um, you know, shipping fortune. And, um, and Schuyler was writing his, you know, anti-communist columns. And here she is this wealthy young white woman and she's in Moscow and she's writing back. And uh, she is calling him a race traitor. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty <Yeah>. ironic. <laughs> Sometimes I think that a big part of it is that the today's academics, anyways, like newly minted PhDs, really are less educated than the PhDs of a couple generations ago, in part because K through 12 is so broken now yeah. uh, that they really don't know very much about what they study. And I think that oftentimes sort of being an intellectual for them means a certain posture. And because mm -hmm. of the self-contained ideological uh, truth, you know, echo chamber of communist ideology of, you know, um, deconstruction, that it just means that if you're smart, then you believe those things. And if you don't believe those things, then you're not smart. Right. And so it kind of becomes uh, that the the only way to signal your authenticity as an academic or an intellectual is to embrace these ideas or get spit out of the academy. Um, and you described it very well with like uh, when you're trying to explain to today's students the horrors of of Soviet communism or other forms and they just either can't fathom it or don't care. I think this is kind of like what we see today with like when you talk to people about um, gender conver uh, conversion uh, surgeries uh, on adolescents, you know, where, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you say, hey, this is an awful thing that's happening. And they say, that's not happening. Right. And then you show them the evidence that it is happening. And they say, well, it's not happening, but it's good that it is. Um, <laughs> and 
and you know it's it's sort of like you can watch the the gears catch for a moment and then just jam through and you know move forward with with whatever has to be the truth um in their in their mind so yeah. go ahead Oh, yeah. No, I mean, they, they've basically been brainwashed and they're doing it, at, at you know, at a younger and younger age. And, uh, you know, this was, you know, part of the, the communist plan, you know, the Gramsci plan um, is is to, you know, control the minds of, of children. And, um, you know, they, they've been, you know, it, it, it's 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 amazing to see how successful they've been. They they keep pushing the envelope, and um, you know, even ten years ago, who would have imagined? You know, and you know, and I hope now that you know the public. It seems like the public is waking up. I you know, I wish they I wish they would have listened to me back in two thousand. <laughs> Well, there, I think that as the universities figure out that the public is waking up, the universities are devising ways to insulate themselves from uh, from any kind of public backlash. What an example is like diversity statements now, where it's like just to ensure that everybody that they hire is going to be in line with with the the right think. Um, you know, now you have to say up front, yes, I. I will bow before these gods um, and that will be the focus of my research. So it sounds like the, the university is even a worse place now than it was in 2013. What's your take on it institutionally? Can it be saved? I mean, uh, can, can it be pulled back from the brink or not? Well, I think, it, um, I mean, we've got the buildings. <laughs> Let's keep those. Um, I think every every public university um, needs to be taken over. I think what Ron DeSantis is doing is great. And I, I was supposed to speak at a couple college campuses uh, in Florida in October and I had been sponsored by an organization and one university, University of Florida, I had you know, been scheduled to give this talk on Columbus um, back in the spring and you know, a week before I was supposed to do it in October, they canceled. Mm -hmm. I had my plane ticket and everything. And you know, um, so, that happened at another place. It was sponsored by the uh, Italian club and they had a room change the day before. Then they had a room change 30 minutes before. Th these are the strategies that they used. You know, there were, you know, they have this, you know, huge modern building with meeting rooms galore. Nothing was really going on. I mean, right. th they, they tried to sabotage you and, um, so they're working to ensure that students wouldn't know how or where to attend your talk, even if they wanted to. That's right. And there's no advertising. Um, a friend went up to the information desk. They didn't know anything about it. It's happened here at Hamilton College where we have um, tried to sponsor things for students, you know, because Hamilton College is just up the hill here in Clinton, New York. And actually, the Alexander Hamilton Institute was started by three professors from there. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't they wouldn't send it out on the campus wide email list. You know, it, it 
you know, they do those kinds of things. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it just goes to show that they really um, are afraid. Uh, you know, they're bankrupt as far as ideas go. They can't make an argument. They uh, will not debate you. And, um, and I, think, I think what needs to be done, just like George Schuyler saw at uh, the, you know, the Congress of, uh, you know, in Berlin, is you don't say, and, and with these colleagues who he got frustrated with because they would let in these communists and fellow travelers and treat them as if they uh, were, um, you know, they were being sincere and honest. But what they were really trying to do is subvert the institution. You know, you go to a conference, there isn't the free exchange of ideas. They're trying to subvert the institution itself. And this is what these people are doing, these professors, these DEI, um, you know, administrators, all these people. And they need to be treated that way. I used, you know, you can't talk to them. You, you cannot reason with them. And I think that has been um, the, the mistake that conservatives have made. Uh, oh, we shouldn't go after them. You know, they try to shame us and say, oh, you know, you are, are censoring me or you're not respecting my opinion. They don't respect an opinion that differs from theirs. So what you need to do, uh, you know, uh, is you need to have someone like Governor DeSantis say, okay, we're cutting off your funding. And yeah. what I would say to parents and, and to people I talk to is, um, you know, monitor what's going on in the schools, sit in on classes. I think they should be filmed. I really, you know, I'm a strong proponent of the public, uh, of public oversight. And, um, and that's the only way we're going to change them. We can't uh, trust them to reform because they don't want to reform and they're not interested in education. Just like my professor, um, you know, at the, in the T.S. Eliot seminar, he didn't care about T.S. Eliot. Right. He was using T.S. Eliot to uh, knock down another brick in, uh, you know, the building of, you know, Western civilization. And, and, and that went on, you know, class after class, professor after professor, that deconstructing, it means you just destroy it. And, um, and so that kind of a person just needs to be kicked out. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, he, he, the, these people uh, will, um, you know, fire you, they will deny you a livelihood, they will censor you. Uh, you know, and, and these days they will um, dox you, they will put your life at risk. And like the communists, you know, um, their predecessors, they really don't care about your safety. They don't care about your life, uh, you know, and, and, and they need to be treated um, as people who, you know, are that way. So, um, so I think, you know, and, and so back when I was writing about this and speaking about this, I really encouraged the public to get involved because, you know, you're in this uh, you know, little world of your own and you've got people who have power 
and you know they kick out the people who they disagree with and so we really need the public to come in and the public has a right if they're supporting public universities and public schools they have a right even private schools private colleges they are tax exempt they get all kinds of breaks um and they have a, a, a duty to the public as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, it sounds like what you're talking about is that the choice that's before us is just to go Gramsci again and, and do our own long march through the institutions. Um, th that may be possible, but it's probably something like what it was for the left, a 50 or 75 year project that we're talking about undertaking. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult to do, I think. Um, and I'm kind of hoping, I, I'm kind of partial to the fact that change in higher education is probably going to have to come because the economic model is just isn't viable anymore. You know, there's, I think the public has figured out that these credentials have a lot less value than they were supposed to have. Um, and so enrollment is down everywhere. Um, you know, the, the modes of delivery are changing. You talked about video recording uh, lectures. This is one thing that's always concerned me because um, I'm with you in, in principle, right? That, that we should have some kind of oversight, but I'm also worried that if the university has a recording of every lecture I've given, like what happens to my intellectual property? Why do they need me anymore? You know, like just pop in the tape and let students mm -hmm. watch, you know, what I've done. Um, so yeah, I do I, think that the whole labor market's going to change too. And that's going to force some kind of reform for better or worse. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think, um, I, I really, I really think, you know, we just have to bring the strong arm of the law down on these people and um, stop getting into these useless debates. Oh, you're censoring us. Oh, you're, you know, um, you're persecuting us. But, you know, that was what the communists and the fellow travelers did during, um, you know, the House uh, Committee on Un-American Activities. Uh, you know, that's what they were saying. They were saying, oh, you, you just don't like the free exchange of ideas, you, you know, um, you're, you're denying me my job, you're denying me freedom of speech. And it's, no, you are um, someone who is out to destroy uh, and you need to be held accountable. You are not doing your job. You are not following a job description. Everyone has a job description, right? I mean, it used to be when I taught, you know, there were these objectives on the syllabus. I don't know if they still have it, you know, for freshman mm -hmm. composition, right? You're going to be able to, you know, formulate a thesis statement, have support, write clear grammatical sentences, organize an essay, you know, you know how to use uh, footnotes and stuff like that. Um, well, that's my, you know, I felt that was my job to do that, not to, you know, talk about gender identity or anything else. I, that's my job. Um, and I think we need to get back to that standard. I think these academics have had too much uh, free reign uh, 
under the guise of academic freedom. Um, every, every, everyone who works for a living, right, has, a, you know, I'd like to boil it down to a job description, you know, even the jobs I had in high school, I knew what I was supposed to do. I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't the manager, I was the sandwich maker, you know, right. and I had to put the cheese on and then I had to do this and that. And it's the same thing, you know, with, with teachers and professors. Uh, and I think we need to get, and I think the public is finally waking up to that. And um, so I'm glad, I'm glad to see that. Yeah, I like your idea that it sounds like uh, we just need to stop treating these DEI people and anybody who's committed to those values. Stop treating them as, as honest interlocutors and just start treating them with open scorn and disdain. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that uh, one, they, they have a great sense of pride and and. Uh, what uh, that that means we can easily get to them by um, humiliating them. Uh, <laughs> and I think that the way you do that is just not even to engage the stuff intellectually at all. Just laugh at them. Uh, Fire them. Fire them. Yeah. I mean, money. We, ju we just have to starve the beast. Yeah. And when it comes to public institutions, that's how you do it. Just you, you, you just say I'm, we're not going to have a DEI um, department. Uh, you know, we're going to spend the money on instruction. Make sure students uh, know the subject matter, and um, you know, and tell these DEI people go out and get a get a real job. Go out and make sandwiches or something. You know, that yeah. <laughs> as far as your education is concerned, that's all you're really qualified for. If you if you've been uh, <laughs> doing DEI work. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, or, or, or worshiping ideologies. You, you yeah. learn a lot of that. Um, well, Mary Graybar, I am, am quite delighted with our conversation. Your work is, is fantastic and much needed. Um, we need a hundred more like you to write all of the debunking books that need to be uh, written. We're looking forward to this. When, when is this project done? George Schuyler going to be complete? Do you think? Um, I'm a couple months, and I'm uh, looking for a publisher. So uh, it's you know it's very difficult. Also, I'm discovering um, to get anything that's academic published because you know the, the academic publishers won't touch anything, uh, you know, dealing seriously with a black conservative who was immensely influential during his time, um, a great wit, uh, full of political insights. Um, and he, he, you know, he, he's a treasure of our, uh, of our country's heritage and people need to know about it. Well, this exclusion of research like yours and mine is one of the reasons that I started the Peerless Review. And so if you ever have any short pieces on George Schuyler that you're looking to uh, put out in advance of the book, I'd be happy to publish them there. Thank you All so right. much for talking to us today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun.